The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box, and here are your headlines. China's Evergrande says it will make an interest payment on its bonds as scheduled tomorrow. But a former PBOC advisor tells CNBC the troubled developers' problems go much deeper. What's true, Evergrande will default on many, many of their debt. The Evergrande company most likely will be dissolved as an empire. Chinese stocks pair losses on that news and property stocks jump as mainland markets return to trade after a four-day weekend. Uh, the U.S. House, meanwhile, has approved a bill to prevent a government shutdown and suspend the debt ceiling. The majority leader, Steny Hoyer, says it's critical for the global economy as Republicans vow to block it, though, in the Senate. It's also essential that we suspend the debt limit to prevent a default that would trigger an economic catastrophe, not only here, but around the world. Plus, focus on the Fed as it wraps up its uh, meeting later today with the JP Morgan CEO, Jamie Dimon, telling CNBC that market pressures may force the central bank to act bigger and sooner. Obviously, inflation is so high that the Fed has to do more traditional management of the economy, like jam on the brakes, pull out liquidity, then you're going to see a huge reaction. And I'm not predicting that, but it's possible they have to do that sometime next year. Bitcoin recovers the 40K handle after a volatile start to the week. The CEO of Italian payments giant Nexi tells me here at Money 2020 that he's working with the ECB on digital currencies. We are engaging with uh, 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 the, the European Central Bank and contributing to the design of the future digital year because we believe that can be a positive force in the evolution of digital payments. So let's focus on that headline story then. And it is the reaction in the Chinese markets as they reopen after the mid-autumn festival break to the ongoing and unfolding story of whether Evergrande will meet its bond payments on Thursday and ultimately where this business is going next. So the Chinese markets have paired losses, although we are still lower, as you can see, Despite fears, indebted developer Evergrande's crisis will reverberate throughout the financial system. Yet concerns of a so-called Lehman moment have been eased as the company says it will be able to make a bond coupon coupon payment on time tomorrow. And that payment is in excess of $80 million. Uh, Sam joins us now with more on the story. And Sam, what other details can you give us about how they've managed to pull together the financing for this payment? 
Good morning to you, Jeff. Well, we haven't got too many details about how they do plan to do that, but it is some encouraging news and certainly for the mainland markets, which, as you mentioned, came back online today after being shut for two days for the mid-autumn festival. So all eyes were really on how mainland investors were going to digest this latest episode with Evergrande for the first time this week as they have really rattled global markets. But as I say, some pretty encouraging news now with the China Evergrande's main unit that is Hengda Real Estate uh, now saying that it will uh, be able to make an onshore bond interest payment uh, on time. That is uh, tomorrow. And uh, while uh, the mainland markets uh, broadly in terms of both the major indices were under some pressure today, that really helped lift the real estate stocks. Because if you take a look at the CSI 300 index that tracks those real estate stocks on the mainland, they are up actually 5%. As you can see there, that comes after a 2% drop at the start of the session because of course those real estate stocks have been getting hammered uh, during this entire Evergrande episode as there are some concerns about the broader property market in China which we know makes up for a big chunk of the Chinese economy. But as I say, while this may offer some breathing room now as all eyes really have been on this company and of course this has been rattling uh, global investors, they are still worried about other payment obligations that are coming up because of course Evergrande is looking at $83.5 million worth of interest due on a bond that expires in March. That's due tomorrow. Another $47.5 million next week for a bond maturing in 2024. Of course, we've been putting this to a lot of analysts. There's been some mixed reviews about uh, whether they can actually meet this deadline. But uh, certainly we have seen, as I say, the market's under some pressure as the clock is ticking down to that. We've seen the mainland banking stocks under a lot of pressure today, actually doing uh, most of the dragging as really there are a lot of investor worries about the contagion risk of all of this for the financial system as this uh, Evergrande episode could lead to more bad debt. But as you pointed out in the headlines, we did speak to a former PBOC, that is the Chinese Central Bank advisor this morning, who did say, while the financial contagion will be minimal, the worrying and concerning thing will be the contagion in the real economy, which of course we know is already slowing broadly with the, you know, consumption, not up to pre-pandemic levels and also manufacturing, as we've seen in the latest uh, data. And of course, this does come as we have been waiting and watching to see any official commentary uh, coming out of China regarding this, uh, because, of course, the big question that's come out of all of this, guys, is, you know, what will Chinese authorities do and how much uh, are they willing now to step in and throw these guys a lifeline to avoid any sort of ripple or domino effect in the global economy, which has been uh, rattling uh, certainly uh, a lot of investors. And while that uh, answer to that question certainly remains unclear, uh, investors are still on edge. Uh, but of course, if anyone uh, knows what the central bank is thinking, uh, it is uh, Lee Dalquay who also suggested that the central bank is likely to keep this targeted and flexible approach to uh, monetary easing. Uh, so the contagion, if any, won't travel too far or too quickly. Guys, back to you. Uh, excellent work as ever. Thank you, Sam. Well, uh, you were mentioning Lee Dalquay there, the former PBOC advisor, arguing that the Evergrande crisis came as a result of, yeah, you guessed it, it's overexpansion and taking on, yes, you guessed it as well, far too much debt. It's amazing how when smart people say something that's so obvious, we all stand and go, yeah, 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 that's right, too much debt, of course. Who'd have thought it, eh? Uh, anyway, he says it will result in a serious restructuring. For sure, Evergrande will default on many, many of their debt, okay? 
And uh, however, what is interesting is that Evergrande is organized or has been organized as a holding company with hundreds of, if not thousands of uh, projects. So they borrow money based on these projects. And the most of these projects are property projects, okay? So look, so that being said, we can quickly understand that local governments are most concerned because when these projects uh, have defaults in their debt, these projects will not be able to finish and that will have low impact on the local economy. So I do believe that many local governments will step in using their own financial capacity to try to uh, make sure the Evergrande company, uh, the project will not, will not go slow down. However, however, I should emphasize, the Evergrande company most likely will be dissolved as an empire. And uh, many of its associated projects, like electrical vehicle projects, will have to be sold to other companies. Uh, Li Daokui there. Well, Sharmila Whelan joins us, Deputy Chief Economist at uh, Alethea Capital. Uh, Sharmila, nice to have you with us. Uh, just a, a very obvious question, I think, off the top here. Is this a solvency problem or a liquidity problem? If it's liquidity, we can fix it. It's short term. If it's solvency, then there's a whole issue to do with the Chinese property sector that needs more fundamental restructuring, I guess. Steve, a very good question there. And I would say it is first and foremost a solvency uh, problem, uh, which is obviously spilling into a liquidity issue. Uh, and it's solvency simply because as we've been, you've been discussing and everyone's been discussing and all along as we've known that uh, the property sector has been uh, piling, in, piling on more and more debt. And the Evergrande is a prime example of that and has been at the forefront. And yes, you know, it's weird. This is the point. The trigger is Evergrande, but we are looking at a restructuring across that sector. And who is going to pay for that, Shamila? That is a very good question. And I think what you're going to see is investors, particularly bondholders. The regulators have already been warning that the bondholders will have to take significant haircuts. Um, the financial sector in several, you know, as I think the the systemic risk to the financial sector is being managed. That's why PBOC has been injecting in so much liquidity. Um, that was 14 billion on Friday, another 18 billion this uh, on Monday. Uh, but you know, putting it in perspective, if you their own stress test shows that even if um, bad loans from real estate developers rises by 15 percentage points and uh, mortgage bad loans rise by 10 percentage points. Capital adequacy ratios for 4,000 banks will fall from an average of 14% to 12%, well above the minimum regulatory requirement of 10%. So the risk to the financial sector is manageable. Um, it's really the bondholders. And I think, you know, given the larger ramification in terms of socioeconomic um, tensions that this might fuel, if you if home, buy, home buyers' confidence is being, as we're seeing, is being hit, um, you know, the subcontractors and suppliers along the line, along with home buyers, you know, they will be taken care of. And that will be through the restructuring where the company is broken up. Um, and these, whether it's local government or other companies come in to finish the projects, because there, there is a huge, bigger political implication that goes all the way to Xi. 
who's facing, as you know, re-elections next year. What are the chances of this having a larger regional impact, a global impact as well? Because I noticed some of the largest investors on the planet uh, were, were very happily topping up their bond holdings on the way down at uh, uh, lower cents in the dollar levels than they had initially purchased. Uh, are we going to reassess high yield or what we think is high yield on a global basis? Or do you think this is still contained as a China issue? For the moment, it's con- contained as a China issue. But just to, uh, you know, put that whole issue of, you know, borrowing in US dollar denominated bonds by Asia and China in perspective, you know, you know, you know you've seen since the global financial crisis and subsequent collapse in US dollar borrowing costs, the region led by China, have been more, China corporates have been very enthusiastic about bo- issuing dollar-denominated bonds. And through the pandemic, dollar issuance also rose, you know, by about 79 billion. And at the moment, you know, if you look at Asia X Japan, there's 1.6, uh, 1.5 trillion worth of dollar bonds, corporate dollar bonds outstanding. And within that, 545 billion is China, right? Um, but if you, st- the question is, you know, the rollover, again, if you look at this year and next year, about three quarters of corporate bonds that are coming up for um, rollover, which either will have to be rolled over or paid down, three quarters of that is accounted by China and Hong Kong together alone, right? Now, the for corporates that have borrowed from Chinese corporates and Chinese corporates that have borrowed through Hong Kong, the risk is that you're going to see a significant increase in US dollar borrowing costs when it comes to rollover, simply because investors are going to ask, demand a higher risk premium for holding China bonds, right? But for the rest of the region, the 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 rollover schedule for the next two years is quite manageable, unless you see a sharp upward spike in US dollar borrowing costs or collapse in corporate profit earnings. So that's the bond market. If you look at the external uh, debt sustainability at country levels. Um, external debt across countries have, have risen through the pandemic in absolute terms, in US bo- dollar borrowing, borrowing ter- terms. But debt fundamentals remain sustainable everywhere, including China. And if you look at China, external debt to GDP has actually stayed stable through the pandemic. What happens if the um, the Federal Reserve today is way more, it's not going to be, but if it's way more hawkish than everyone expects uh, and everyone starts piling back into the dollar, uh, this is going to put that refinancing you're talking about, a lot more strain on that for a lot of emergings and possibly for China in dollar-denominated bonds as well, isn't it? No, for definitely for China and Hong Kong, right? And, you know, it, it's going to be reflected in the risk premium. Um you know, but at a country level, you know, are you going to look at, are you looking at an external debt meltdown? I'd say no, because the key metric to look at is the ratio of short-term borrowing to international reserves, i.e. in the event of a creditor strike or, you know, as you say, like, you know, for instance, let's say US dollar borrowing costs on the back of the Fed for some reason just, you know, goes up very sharply, they can't rule over debt. Do you have enough international reserves as a country to cover those short-term debt liabilities or are you going to default? Uh, if you look at you know, across the region, including China, there's more than adequate reserves to cover. So I would still maintain we're not, you, you see, 
you're seeing contagion at the moment because markets are nervous. But is this going to lead to you know you know a whole meltdown? I'd maintain at this stage, no. All right, we'll leave it there. Lovely to get your thoughts today. Thank you so much indeed for joining us so early. Shamila Whelan, who is Deputy Chief Economist at Alethea Capital. Thank you very much indeed for that. Right, well, did you spend as much time as I and Jeff did yesterday afternoon when you should have been doing better things looking at US markets? Probably, because we can all multitask these days, can't we? Um, and I did. And one thing you may have been surprised is that the Dow didn't rally, because let's face it, every single downtick we've had in the last 12 months, pretty much, has been followed quite soon afterwards by a very big rally. I'm not saying it's not going to happen at some stage, but look at that. The Dow in the end, having tried, well, floated around the flat line and tried to be up 200 points at one point, then 50 up and then down, uh, actually ended in negative territory. So that was very, very interesting. So some of these global concerns are still there. Some of the more nearer to home concerns uh, are there as well, including what's going to happen about the debt ceiling in the US, what's going to happen about the Federal Reserve today. And clearly, I, th- I think you're, 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 we're all expecting and, um, different things from what we're hoping to see uh, out of the Federal Reserve today. I mean, it's going to be a bit of a word soup as well, isn't it? Because, of course, you're going to get your, your dot plot projections and inevitably many people feel you're going to get a little bit more hawkishness creeping into 2022 in terms of individual members' expectations for the first rate hikes. But as Jay Powell has been at pains to say, Rate hikes and tapering are two separate things. So you've got the summary of economic projections as one thing. You've got what we're going to hear or potentially not hear on, on tapering as well. And then you're going to get people looking in the word soup, so to speak. So for progress, you get one point. For further progress, you get a couple of points. For substantial further progress, God knows what the market's going to do, because actually that means we're off to the races on, on, on tapering, doesn't it? So substantial further progress would get you three points and would get an almost immediate tapering. I think further progress, you only get a couple of points for that. and You don't necessarily get what you really want uh, in terms of movement in the market. That's if you're long volatility, which incidentally, the VIX yesterday just came off a couple of percentage points uh, from its highs of the previous session. So this is where we finish on the U.S., Markets. So this is where we are on the Treasuries. So neatly poised at 133 on the 10-year paper there. A US five-year 0.83, and at the other end of the curve, the 30-year paper 1.87. Oil markets look very robust still. Uh, WTI and Brent. Um, it was a 73 handle at one point on Brent yesterday afternoon. 75.23 is where it is currently trading. So uh, once again. Despite the fact that I read in the FT today that the IEA is not pleading, but just saying to the Russians, for instance, I think we need a little bit more production for uh, to fill up the winter storage as well. Well, maybe that's falling on deaf ears at the moment because uh, WTI crude, 71.37, Brent trading at 75.23. Let's have a look at the Asian markets, ex-Hong Kong and ex-South Korea as well. And the one that I'm really most interested in today, of course, as indeed all of you are, Uh, It's the Shanghai Composite, which is back after that, uh, what is it, the mid-autumn holiday. So they had a long weekend for that as well, down two-tenths of one percent as we speak. The Nikkei down five-tenths of a percent. European opening calls. Well, Europe had a great session to the upside yesterday. Uh, Again, if you were long, some of the moves to the upside were were pretty robust. We saw the DAX up 1.4 percent, the CAC up 1.5 percent, and the FTSE put on 1.1. We are called up 22 points on the FTSE, 62 on the Zetradax, 32 on the CAC, and over in Italy, 30 points to the good. We have got uh, flash consumer confidence data out of the Eurozone today. So uh, that will be interesting to see where the consumer sits ahead of that key German election, which uh, 
a dear friend of mine will be going to Berlin for the weekend to uh, to have a look. And Jeff's going as well. Um, let's have a look at <laughs> let's have a look at the US futures. Where are we? 15 points higher in the S and P. Dow Jones up 137 points. The Nasdaq called 50 points to the good. You're looking forward to your little trip. Oh, you're wasted in financial television. You should have been in comedy. I thought this was comedy. <laughs> I thought well, that's what you and I have been doing for 20 years. Is that uh, not? Yes, I'll Is this supposed on... to be serious, this stuff? Uh, apparently, yeah, that's what I'm told. Oh, um, gosh. Although I think um, we do better than the others because we add a little bit more colour, we, don't we? We, we do, and I, we I, I hear some of the rivals are trying to do the same these days. Is that right? <laughs> a little <laughs> birdie tells me. It'd be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, see if they can do that. Well, let's see. Yeah. Yeah. JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimond expects a uh, gradual Fed tightening, but says persistently high inflation could force the central bank to sweet, speed, speed things up more. We'll have more on that after the break. Yes, we will. And for more on the evolving situation with the troubled Chinese property developer Evergrande, uh, check out, uh, well, it, it, it's purely a piece of art, actually. Uh, what kind of art, I'll leave you to look at. But it's called the Squawk Box Podcast or something like that. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back. The U.S. House of Representatives has passed a bill to avoid another government shutdown by suspending the nation's borrowing limit until the end of the year. But the legislation could still fail in the Senate. The House voted along party lines, 220 Democrats supporting it, 211 Republicans opposing. The Democratic majority leader of the House is Steny Hoyer, who said the parties should set aside their differences and do what's best for the nation. This is not a Democratic debt. It's not a Republican debt. It is our debt. It is the debt of the United States of America. We don't welch on our debts. We pay our debts. Well, speaking to CNBC's sister channel, TV18, JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon said the Federal Reserve is likely to embark on gradual tightening later this year, but also warned of a scenario where inflation remains persistently above the Fed's target. It's far more than it was predicted. But I think Delta and the supply chain is probably just going to elongate, reduce the growth, but it'll still be there, and then elongate the recovery as people adjust these kind of things. And so, and you know, the Fed has to be data dependent. I'm always surprised people ask, you know, are they going to, they're not going to decide definitively what they're going to do because they, you know, if Delta gets worse, something happens. Can you imagine the Fed saying, we will not pay attention to any data? Of course they have to be, but they're indicating, you know, that sometime in November, give or take a month or two, they'll tell the world that they're going to stop tapering. I don't know if they're going to describe exactly they're going to do it. The taper itself will take the way the time that will take a year or something like that. And, you know, that that'll all be fine if we have decent growth. I think decent growth is far more important than anything that we keep on growing. And that is the anecdote for all ills. 
uh, and, and the hope is that uh, growth will continue. But what's the outlook as far as inflation is concerned? Because, you know, the, the Fed is going to, and you talked about data, and the Fed is going to be looking at employment. The Fed is going to be looking at inflation as well. So what do you make of uh, both those metrics and both those parameters? Yes, I think for the most part, the central banks of the world have been pretty clear. They're all in on getting growth going. <laughs> like they, they've changed their view about inflation. They don't mind if they overshoot for a while time period. So here's my, I'm just going to give you, look, again, I can't predict the future any better than you can. Uh, but, but if inflation to me, it looks like there's a part that's transitory and there's a part that's not. That's not a disaster. So, and you see inflation. And by the fourth quarter, you're still going to see inflation. And by then, I doubt December, people are going to say it's all transitory when it's now been going on for quite a while. And so, but again, if, if you have the, a healthy inflation, which is, you know, it's at 4% and it kind of levels off, maybe starts to come down next year, you've got good growth and long rates start to go up, uh, yeah, that's fine. It's far more important we've got healthy global growth than if, you know, the United States Treasury bond goes to 3%. That's still not going to derail growth. Now, if obviously, if inflation is so high that the Fed has to do more traditional management of the economy, like jam on the brakes, pull out liquidity, then you're going to see a huge reaction. And I'm not predicting that, but it's possible they have to do that sometime next year. Remember, the Fed can't always be proactive. I mean, sometimes they're going to have to be reactive. And so, you know, if you're in terms of managing the risk of a company like JP, well, yeah, of course, that's on our list. There speaks uh, the voice of wisdom. It's all about growth, isn't it? Um, Let's move on. The Federal Reserve is today expected to set out its tapering timeline whilst also outlining how rising inflationary pressures that Mr. Dime was just referring to uh, amid a resurgence, a recent resurgence of COVID cases stateside and how that's going to weigh on sentiment. However, despite recent pressures, Fed watchers still expect the central bank to begin reducing its monthly asset purchases before the end of this year. A CNBC survey showed analysts expect the Fed taper to begin in December at around $15 billion per month, with a first rate hike slated for a year later. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.